Yes, good people, it's Francis here from Let's Do Humans podcast. This is just a quick announcement, just to encourage everybody here that's listening to our podcast right now, just to ensure that you subscribe and you follow us on all of the various platforms out there that produce podcasts, that's subscribing to us on YouTube, following us on iTunes and Spotify. I mean, follow us, make sure that you share our content and continue your support, that'll be greatly appreciated. That's Let's Do Humans, L-E-T-S-D-O-H-U-M-A-N-S, Let's Do Humans, one word. Appreciate all of your support. Stay blessed, good people. Um, uh, touching back to your story that um drew, that drew me to invite you on the podcast um so you're involved in something significant a significant part of um, african history world history um, right. in general um do you mind taking us back sort of like was it like 24 years ago it was 1994 right yeah 26 yeah. years ago now yeah yeah wow it's a while yeah. back it, 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 well it seems like <laughs> far back but really and truly it was just Mm-hmm. Four years ago, which is not really that far back when you really think about it in the scope of history. So, mm-hmm. um, do you mind telling us what was significant about that time and how um, it impacted you as an individual and what you was involved in? Right, right. Um, I just want to first of all, I want to thank you so much for having me. It really means a lot to be part oh, of your yeah. your amazing podcast. So, um, yeah, twenty six years ago, of course, as you mentioned, there was a genocide in my country. So I, um, I was fourteen years old <laughs> wow. in nineteen ninety four. I was a teenager, so of course, I understand everything happened. I've lived through the genocide as a young teen. So, uh, but uh, before the genocide, I grew up very normal, like any other African child in a small village, mm-hmm. <laughs> happy child. I was very fortunate to have uh, good parents who were um teachers mm. so i don't know if you want me to tell you a little bit about the country first before yes, i maybe... please, yeah i mean I, I love the overall story that'd be fantastic yeah 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 so rwanda for those who know rwanda is in central africa so um very small country um we've had um it's a country where we you know we've lived centuries um where we've had um monarchy and then now after monarchy we you know, the Belgians were colonized by Belgians, so they changed the whole system we've had, so which was um, a system where we have Hutus and Tutsis and Twa were social classes and they had to change it into ethnicity. So, and everything changed in the country where people used to come from one social class to another because of the wealth. If you had more cows, you move from Hutus to Tutsis. So everybody knew that and it was really okay. You know, every time I speak to my, uh, the people who were, um, you know, those older who are living a lot at that time, but many of them are not alive anymore. So, but it was really normal. It was okay. And people were so happy until the Belgians, of course, it was Germans first and then the Belgians came in the country. So they had to change the whole system. So they colonized us and they um, brought the ethnicity. So dividing these people were living together happily and make them enemy. So and uh, they made majority Hutus against the Tutsis. So um, and at that time, 
what they did, they had to uh, bring ID cards. They had to create ID cards. So mm. the ID cards, so you had to, if you are Hutu, because of how they measure your height, your nose, I'm sure many of the people have seen it online, mm. how they used to measure your noses, your, your skin, you know, your skin uh, texture. So they they made sure that uh, people believe what they were doing. So they had to create this ID card. Whoever was living at that time, if they place you as a Hutu, so you had to have that ID as a Hutu and then a Tutsi. So that's how uh, many of the people of my my family, we became Tutsis because of many of my ancestors coming from my family. So we became Tutsis. That's how we became Tutsis. So we became part of the minority. So... And since then, when they left the country, the country was completely uh, different now. So the Hutus started actually in 19, because after they um, eliminated the the last king we had in the country. So in 1959, who was murdered, actually, um, they decided uh, when they left, that's when um, we had a, a new, you know, the first republic in the country. So um, there they were, they were Hutus at that time. So they started uh, killing Tutsis at that time in 1959. So that's why we had so many Tutsis who, who left the country. They were in many countries around the world, mostly, mainly um, our neighboring countries like yeah. Congo, which is now DRC. Uh, Zaire used to be called Zaire before, but now it's DRC, Burundi, uh, Tanzania, many of them were living uh, around those countries. So, and those of us, my, my family members, and some of them were in exile. So not many, but there were some of them were in exile. So, and um, those who remain in the country, they were persecuted many, many decades. So that means like men, we they lived in a persecution being refused to uh, to go to certain schools and many times where we were dehumanized and being called cockroaches and snakes. So for me, the way the Tutsis lived at that time in the country, um, they got used to being persecuted yeah. and they managed to somehow accept, you know, what, what was happening. Every time you talk to someone who was alive at that time, they tell you that it was hard for them to leave, but at the same time, they wanted to live a normal life, even though it was not easy. So I was born in the time then when the Tutsis were uh, persecuted and my parents were persecuted throughout their lives, my my grandparents. So, um, But they never spoke much about what happened to them before. So and when I was growing up, um, what happened, uh, I, I, I realized in school, when I was younger, we were asked in the classrooms when we were kids to stand up as Tutsis and Hutus. You know, as a kid, you never know, you never knew yeah, what's what, going on. Yeah. yeah, what's going on. So you were you taught to love people, but you, you didn't know, you know, what's happening. And these were our neighbors. We were all black. We we're not yeah. necessarily like looking so, different. A quick question. So, Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm-hmm. quick question. So, prior to the Belgians coming over, there was no division in terms of the tribes. So, there wasn't Tutsi and Hutsi. W- was that only identified as differentials once the Belgians came into it? Yeah. 
uh, before the Belgians came, it was more about social classes. It's yeah. almost like uh, if you are, you know, people knew how to move from one class to another. Yeah. If you earn more cows, that means you're wealthy. Yeah, so which is a universal thing anyway. It's a universal yeah. thing. It's yeah. like wealthy, poor and all that. So somehow people used to help each other to move from one class to another. It's almost like they never see, they never really had to have any problem with that. Yeah. It was It was very normal. So a lot of people knew how to really move from one class to another. So, and they were really, they were happy the way they lived. So, and uh, until that was changed, they realized this country, people know how to live in peace and they decided to divide them. So they had to change everything, change everything. So, and, uh, and it worked. It worked because the division started when they left. So that's when, um, uh, that you realize that the minorities were persecuted throughout the years, so throughout decades. So in the ideology of hatred grew because they were learning from countries where, um, like, you know, where they had a Holocaust, how you 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 have, you know, a yeah. lot of things are really yeah. kind of similar in the way of, yeah. see the, you know, persecution. It's a divide and conquer tactic, which, which works, which works al al along any sort of like um, traditional boundaries. Because what, one of the interesting things that I read in, re in relations to the um, genocide in Rwanda was that they, they were pushing the propaganda that the Tutsis were European and Egyptian descendants. <laughs> Whilst the um, Hutu were the um, were sort of like the indigenous people, so they were, they were separating them on those grounds, which was like propaganda, which then sort of like flames up this yeah. idea that we're different. Mm -hmm. And it was it was really so deep to a point where they had to use also a radio. They had to create a radio, RTM radio at that time, mm. which was a radio that was used to just incite that hatred to make people believe that Tutsis are different from other you know, yeah. regular people in the country. So Hutus, so, and some people believed it. it it's so, it's so sad. They believed it, but we, we look alike. My friend who was, who was, you know, so considered to be a Hutu, she looks like me. There's not different from me and her. So we are yeah. all the same. We look alike. So, and uh, people believed it to a point where uh, throughout the country. So as I, I was mentioning earlier in the classrooms, we were, asked to stand up so they can count how many Tutsis and Hutus in the, in the classroom. So as a kid, somehow, because you never know, you didn't know what was happening. So somehow your teacher will, if you go, for instance, on, on the Hutu side, because you didn't know, mm -hmm. she would just pull you and, you know, like in, in a yeah. harsh. So, yeah, and you didn't know as a kid. But then when I was in junior high school, that's when I started realizing how you know, because you're starting to realize how you're not liked as Tutsis in the country. So I was bullied by a classmate who actually came in, who was a niece of the mayor. So she used to come in the class and because of how she, what she was hearing at home, mm. I guess she decided to bully me and my fellow Tutsis in the, in the classroom. So, and the way my parents did, they had to tell you, okay, be nice, just go to school. If anything happens, but they would never just go, you know, to school to confront because they knew that it was it was going to be bad. Yeah. So the only way is just to tell you, okay, just um, you know, move from a seat where you were. They would tell my teacher to move me from where I was sitting. So at least I can be far. I learned just to be far away from her. So yeah. and, and that's how I avoided, you know, to be, you know, uh, harassed by her. So.
and for me, I, I won't say I my situation was worse at that time in junior high compared to my friends who were living in the boarding school. I was it was not a boarding school. At least I used to go home oh, you know, yeah. after school. And uh, those who were in the boarding school, it was worse. They would just tear their their clothes. They would throw like. Uh, like bad things in their clothes. They sometimes throw water on them while they are sleeping. Mm. It was really, when you hear those stories also, it's really horrible. I have friends who've been through that. So those experiences. So my parents didn't want to send me in a boarding school because mm. they knew what would happen to me. So, and, um, and that was really minor compared to a lot of people until uh, I, you know, I experienced the worst you know in the genocide uh in the genocide what that happened um so the, between the time you're 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 talking now you're talking about now where you were in education what was the time span from that until we becoming a sort of like a bloody um civil war genocide sorry um you mean it by the time uh yeah what was the time scale so you're talking about being in school and then it's starting off the hatred and um, the discrimination towards you because you're a tutsi when did it turn into um genocide uh, it turned uh, into a genocide um, in 1994. Of course, I was um, um, in junior high school. I was, uh, by the time, close to what, when I was 14 years old. So I was 13 years old, actually, when I experienced, uh, you know, the discrimination from my classmate. It was probably 1993. So, and by, in 1994, that's when, because uh, we were on vacation for Easter vacation at home so and uh and at that time throughout the country there were chaotic you know uh things going on Tutsis were being murdered in many parts of the country because they they created actually multiple parties you know where some of them were uh, mostly about um you know majority Hutus who were trying to go throughout the country to mostly young people a lot of them were young people trained to go throughout the country to go um you know, um, destroy homes and sometimes, uh, you know, create a chaotic, you know, incidents and sometimes, you know, telling mostly the, the Tutsis who were known at first. So who are on the list of being persecuted, some of them were thrown in jail, some of them were in, in jail for so long. So and um, after the plane was shut down, for those who knew, sometimes people think because of the plane was shut down, that's the reason why the genocide happened. Started, yeah. yeah, no, I think a genocide is a well-planned thing. It's really not something that happens overnight. Mm. So, and many, some countries knew it was going to happen because there were machetes imported in the country. And there were many, many things really to kill many, more than a million. A million people don't die just because yeah you know one play or a person dies just like that no it doesn't it doesn't um and it's not like that so what happened i don't know if you've heard there is a man uh Kabuga Felician, who uh, was, was he the radio personality yeah yeah so yeah. he was one of the main people who um who actually um you know um it was a businessman who gave the money who financed you know the genocide who gave the money to you know to buy the machetes, you know, there were machetes imported and he was, he had a lot of machetes in his uh, stocks. So he's one of the people behind creating the RTM radio, mm -hmm. which was also uh, one of the radio that was used to tell the Hutus throughout the country 
to kill Tutsis. So, and there were personalities, many of them who were like, um, they are just acting, you know, uh, in, in a very, it's very unfortunate the way they were acting, the way they were saying things like those two, these cockroaches and, you know. It's dehumanizing them, you know, making it easier to kill. Yeah. Yes, yes, dehumanization. As they, because I was a teen, everybody listened to a radio. Radio is yeah. something that everybody listened to. So we had a, a regular radio, which was a national radio, and then that radio also mm. too. So, and a lot of people used to listen because they were, uh, they want to hear what was happening. They were, and, um, you know, as a kid, as a teenager, so it was it was horrifying to to hear that. But at the same time, I never imagined there would be a genocide. I never really thought there was going to be where they are going to kill people. We thought maybe it would be chaos about things. So was that the general consensus amongst amongst the Tutsi that it wasn't really going to escalate to that level where no one was going to take it serious in terms of what because was being? Because they got used to that. Yeah. yeah. They got being living a life like that we got used to living a life like that so nobody thought it was going to be where there would be a genocide really throughout the country so as soon as april 6 for many people know uh, april 7 that's when throughout the country everybody they started killing everybody everything stopped and nothing was working so and they had to, to really really encourage people to go and kill imagine seeing your neighbors who are your neighbors mm -hmm. suddenly some of them wake up with machetes and go after searching people to kill so it's uh it, it was horrifying to see so um at first because where we lived um in the western part of the country because we're not living in um in this in a capital city we're living outside of the city so we were living in a small village most of the time in the village people are mostly like kind to each other so you mm. never, you would think things will be bad in the city, but you never, you, you would think people might not do horrible things to you in the, in the, in the small places, like the small villages. But because of how this ideology of hatred has been taught many decades, so they believed, you know, what they were telling them. So we had to flee. We had really to run for three months, really hiding in the most difficult way. The well, most so you, you left your house because your neighbors were coming to attack your family. Yeah, so they had to, actually what happened at first, we, we thought maybe if you go to neighbors that will hit us, maybe things will get better for sure, maybe sooner, then we can go back to our home. But by the time we left our home, and our homes were completely destroyed, even people we knew, our family members' homes, the people, our neighbors, even who were like tutis, so they destroyed homes immediately. Our homes were burned down. So. And what we had to do is just to to go and find who is kind enough to hide us to hide us in their home. So, and um, it was very difficult uh, to see my parents. <laughs> I thought that they were very protective of me and my siblings because we were five kids. I was all this in my family, um, and uh, now my father was afraid. My father was a teacher. Who my mom was a teacher. They have helped so many people. Now it's hard for them to really know what to do. So, and um, there were people who were kind to hit us, but there were people who were unkind <laughs> who have done the most horrible things to us. So, and for me to survive, it was a miracle. I, I would say it was, a, there's nothing I've done, but it was a miracle for me it's to survive. Story, yeah. yeah, so um, we hid in the bushes and many times hungry, our feet swollen. 
And because my dad was murdered at first in April 15th, so um and um and and then after that my mom had to carry me and my siblings to you know ask you know people to help us but many times people refused but and we were hungry my youngest brother was 16 months old and I was 14 my sister was 11 and my 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 brothers were 9 and another one was 7 so the re- all of us, my mom had to really help, you know, take us wherever she can find, you know, somebody to help. But it didn't, you know, people were really, uh, it, it was very sad to see how people changed. It was really sad to see how people changed. But, but at the same time, in the midst of horrible things like that, you find people who are nice too, so mm-hmm. who are really kind. So we found people um, who were kind, so that's why I'm alive. <laughs> Because there's somebody who accepted it to uh, to to hide me. So and unfortunately, during those you know horrible times, people were being killed everywhere. My um my three brothers also were killed in uh, in May. So uh, my who were nine, seven, and sixteen months old. So. And it was murdered by vigilante by the genocidal vigilante. Yeah, by Inherahamwe. They used to call them, they, they call themselves Inherahamwe. Yeah, the killers, the murderers. So, and the person who killed my one of the people who killed my brothers was somebody who who grew up with um with my mom. It's very unfortunate. These are not so this is someone that was known to the family. Known to the family, mm-hmm. and my 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 grandfather, who was my mom's mom. Yeah. And his father were very close friends. That's what my mom told me. Yeah. They were very close friends for so long, to a point where, you know, in the culture of uh, of um, African culture, they, people have to, to to give each other gifts because yeah. of friendships. So my my grandfather actually gifted them a land where they lived for so long. Wow. So that's where they were neighbors. That means they were neighbors when I used to go to my grandfather. I thought these these are part of our family. So it's, it's, it's incredible how a an mm-hmm. ideology can, mm-hmm. can completely make you forget about the good that someone's done to you, and the, the negative yeah. narrative that's being spread can turn you from being neighbors or family members to mm-hmm. killers. Yeah, and and but um but his family was very sad actually that he decided to to do that mm. to really turn himself in, and they really felt horrible for him to do that. So. And he took my brothers, and um, unfortunately, he is one of them who murdered them. And um, and and the rest of us, myself and my mom, we had to my sister, we had to hide again. We didn't want to hide anymore because my mom was really torn apart, as you can imagine, a parent to yeah. have a child snatched from her back, her head. All, all the time, she was carrying my younger brother on her back. So. Now being snatched from her, uh, it was horrifying for my mom, all of us. But, but I think maybe God wanted us to survive somehow. So, and um, and as as you you've heard, probably uh, many places are you know where they have genocide and conflicts. Uh, women and girls are targeted, most targeted in a yeah. uh, most horrific way, and sexual violence and rape and torture. Form, yeah, mm-hmm. it's it uses a, form. a weapon. Yeah use of a weapon. So it happened to a lot of uh, women and girls in Rwanda. So majority of them actually live with the consequences because mm. of that. So many of them live with HIV, others live with um, with um, 
you know, conditions where they don't get up in their beds anymore because trauma. And some of them were thrown in in um, in the mass graves after that, and their bodies are really not functioning anymore. So, but recently, actually, I found out that there are young men who were raped too, oh. and it, they never spoke about that much. I have two friends who actually it happened. They live abroad now, so. Um, and one of them is trying to write a book about it. He, he was, they, they actually spoke about it. You know, hopefully I'll, I'll connect you when his book comes out. Yeah, that'd be amazing. I definitely would love um, to speak to him about it. Yeah. yeah, so he lives in Europe. So he, and it's, it affects them really deeply. We talk about it and it's really painful. And, um, and, 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 and I think I'm really so, you know, I admire their courage really open up and they did it since um, one of them started last year, April, uh, in April, 2019. That's when mm. he wrote actually on Facebook his story for the first time. Wow. Really long. So he been carrying that burden all these years and been dealing with the trauma yeah. himself. Yeah. Yeah. And then he helped his, uh, another friend of ours also to talk about it because it's, uh, we need to speak about it. So, yeah. um, and uh, now we are very close. We are <laughs> very close. They are very close to me. So, um, yeah, no. And for me, unfortunately, I, I I became one of the first people to also talk about that happened to me. So, you know, as a 14 years old and a neighbor, somebody I knew finding me where I was hiding and and unfortunately being, you know, beaten by him and <clears throat> raped by him not too far from my home. I already destroyed home. Uh, and this is not a stranger. Again, this is somebody who lived across our home. And uh, and for me, I feel like I'm very fortunate because um, I have people, even those friends of mine, were tortured by m- multiple people. And for me, it was, uh, it was not a lot of people. And I, that's why I say I'm very fortunate because I... This man was hoping that many other people would find me where he left me so that I can be tortured by several people. So, and um, I, for me, it was hard and horrible for me. I didn't want to leave anymore. So I was, you know, I, I just thought maybe it's better for me to die. But um, somehow God wanted me to survive. So, and um Myself, my mom, after my, even my mom saw what happened to me. She didn't see it happening right at that time, but she saw me going to her where we were hiding at that time. So, and imagine her having the image of how I look. child as well, yeah. Yeah, so it it was, it's horrible for her. I, I don't know how she carries that pain even now. So even though she tries to, to be strong. So, and I... In the Muslim community, like I mentioned, there were kind of people. Um, there were someone who was there. My mom used to to buy clothes from him when he used to go, you know, buy clothes. He was a business person. So he hid us in, in our home because everybody has heard, like, what happened to me, to us, all of us. So, and he was so pained by everything we've been through. So He was a hootsie, but... Uh... He was a Hutu, yes. Hutu, yes, yeah, sorry. He was very, very kind. And he was hiding other people too and trying to, oh. and with other few Muslim community in that. In Is that someone that you're still in contact with? He died, unfortunately. Oh, sorry. 
It's very. I feel bad he died. Yeah, I, I felt. Was I that wanted, as a cause of him them finding out that he was hiding tootsies in his house, or was it something else that? You know? No, he died after. Yeah, he died after the genocide. So yeah, it, it was just a different thing that really yeah happened to him. So, but I I, I felt so bad that I didn't have I because he left the country after the genocide, mm. so he died outside of the country. So, and I, it's very. It makes me sad that I was not able to to see him again so mm. be able to, to thank him and my mom and because the, he was really kind and took us in his home and the sister was living there too so they made sure that nobody was going to get closer to us anymore and people have tried many times mm. really trying to come and and they say no these people have been through a lot I would never allow anybody mm. to come and do harmful thing to them so that's how we were able to survive, me, my mom and my sister. But he found us later. <laughs> it was late. So he felt bad he found us late. So yeah. because we were hiding in many other different places and we've been through so much. So and uh, it was my mom, my sister were able to survive. But I, I'm trying to not say much about this story because you might link to the book also. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I definitely will do. But I think that the story, is, the story in itself is intriguing enough to make people want to read the rest of your story, which is right, uh, right. absolutely mm-hmm. incredible. But um, if you just want to cover a bit about how you managed to get out eventually and um, leave the country. I'm so sorry. That's all right. It's, it's when you're on the phone, people call you, don't they? <laughs> I'm sorry somebody called me. Thank oh, God no worries. Morning. It just, you, you yeah, no, it's, it's still recorded. That's absolutely fine. Now, I was saying that, um, how did you manage to get out eventually? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the reason why um, also the genocide ended is because there were, you know, Tutsis were in exile, RPF, yeah. RPF. So led by um, uh, His Excellency Paul Kagame, so they were able to uh, to fight and stop the genocide, which was yeah. very hard and tough for them. So of course they found that throughout the country, million people died. There were bodies everywhere. So and where we were at that time, they came after. So it, it was very. It was hard for them to capture the whole country. That's why it, it, it's, um, you know, we there were so many people died. So, mm. and these are the people who lived abroad in exile for so long, who wanted to be part of the the country, come back, especially him also. People, a lot of people know his story that he, he, he went in exile when he was young. His parents left the country when he was young, his mom. Mm. And, uh, and that's how the, the genocide was ended. So, and we were able to survive my mom and my sister in July. July, um, that's when the genocide ended. So, and uh, July 4th. So that's when we have liberation day yeah. of when the genocide ended. So, and it was, and we found out that many of our family members were murdered by, on both sides. So I barely have people survive on my, my dad's side. My, on my dad's side, we are very tiny, you know, very few people. And um, on my mom's side, thankfully, there were few people, at least we have, uh, you know, a few number of people who survived. But um, now my my cousins who survived and a few others are 
trying to have kids. And some of them, you know, are teenagers now. So it's I'm the only person who don't have kids yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seeing her. <laughs> uh, but it's uh, for me because of so many reasons. Because I suffered a lot in and after I because of sexual violence and I found out that in rape I found out that I was HIV positive which is something that I carried with that pain and within myself, like many other fellow survivors. But one thing has helped me a lot is to talk about it, even yeah. write about it. So that's why I'm here to even talk to you. That's so amazing. Yeah. yeah the story so is I, absolutely incredible. Yeah. What's the name of the book? Yeah. It's called Tested to the Limit. A genocide survivor's story yeah. of pain, resilience, and hope. Yeah. I'm definitely going to get the link for that book, and then I'm going to put it down below and promote it to my, my listeners who definitely be interested in listening to the rest of your story. Mm-hmm. Um, so not to cover too much of the book, because I want people to go and read it and, uh, and get your full story. But um, I want you to just talk about something incredible, which I think happened to Rwanda after the genocide. So... Um, it, w- when I was doing my research into the um, Rwanda and um, post-genocide, I realized that there was a big um, disparity between men and women. So the population became mainly women because the majority of the men had died um, through the genocide. Um, and now there's a big movement in regards to like women taking up like positions of power and taking up um, historically what would have been classified as men that ro- uh, roles that men would deal with. So can you, right. can you talk about that? Because I know you, you deal with that quite a lot and you've, you've yeah. delivered a few speeches within the UN and you're an advocate for women's rights as well. So can you just um, enlighten my audience regarding that as well, please? Yeah, thank you for really, um, you know, saying that we are a miracle country. And, yeah, definitely. And, um, <laughs> and coming from one of the worst genocide in history that completely destroyed the country. So the country was completely destroyed. So, and as you can imagine, you know, it's not easy to reconstruct the country to make sure people come together. And, um, but I'm so grateful that we've had um, a government where they decided to make sure that it's necessary to involve everybody. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, these ways of like saying, this is what women do, this is what men do. So things have to change. So they have to make sure there are some laws changed and, and have to include women, making sure women are empowered. So especially that there were men, a lot of men died during the genocide. So like many widows in the country, like my mother and many others, so they had to include women, making sure women are part of the um, constructing the country. So, and there's so many law, you know, rules. A lot of rules have changed. So from grassroots level, it's not about on the on the top. It started from the grassroots level. So, and now the the country. So we found that we, now you find that we have mayors, women who are mayors, women who are. Is it majority um, of your government women as well? Is it it's like sixty to forty? Isn't it? Sixty-four percent yeah. in the parliament. 64. Yes. That's amazing. And even governors, ambassadors, like in the U.S., we have two ambassadors who are women, <laughs> yeah. like the U.N. and also um, on the uh, uh, representing Rwanda mm. in the U.S. So, and it's not about that only. Even in the homes and the way women, we used to have um, women were not allowed to be inherited land. So now those laws have changed. Women can, you know, as you are equal to uh, a man, a a girl and woman and and a boy are equal. So they are empowered, both of them, to go to school, do the same way. 
and and also to make sure even when it comes to the, the violence against women mm-hmm. they have created ways like gbv gender-based violence yeah where they make sure that women are you know uh they are speaking out about what they go through in their homes of course um you know when things change a lot of times it doesn't come you know and when you they are used to some you know normal way of they see a woman stay at home you get married and all that and that's sort anything of but not to see women in the workplace also being part of the you know uh making sure the country is developing so it's incredible because yeah. from the country we now we have women who are police in the police who are in the military so we have a lot of them in a peacekeeping mission you see a yeah. lot of them there too so and because it's encouraged it's encouraged and and uh and also we are encouraged to uh to tell our stories too so to speak out and tell our stories even though there are some things in the culture where sometimes they you know people you know it takes a while for some yeah. people yeah especially with we've been african culture as well there's, there's a way that we communicate and there's a way that we tell stories and express yeah. ourselves so yeah it takes time Yeah, especially as women I say, "Oh, you you shouldn't be saying that." But thankfully because um I can see really, you know, over almost like now where we are as a country, mm-hmm. there's so many things now it's normal for a person to see that a woman can be a governor, a woman can be a mayor, a woman can be anything. You can yeah. be a big businessman and it's normal for now to see women who makes more money than the men in the ho- in household in the house so, yeah so the men are, are chilling now <laughs> they are getting used to that now so yeah. it's, and at the same time we have a culture where we respect each other so of course we you learn how to respect each other as a as a as a family even though you might have more you know you know higher education women go to school they encourage the first lady of the country has um Uh, a foundation imbuto foundation which encourages um young women to to go to school to educate themselves you know educating families also about how the importance of education for a young girl to to help a community so and i think when a government is uh, is working to you know empower and educate that's yeah. how things change so if we didn't have a government really uh encouraging that so i don't think we will have been where we are now yeah. so yeah yeah um, and, and it's very even though we are still in the process of healing and especially for survivors who go through the tra- who have been through a lot of trauma and who are still suffering with the trauma but at the same time i'm really grateful where we are as a country every time i speak to every time you, even you can talk to my mom mm. she never she feels so amazed that she's now living in a country where at least she feels you know um that she has the right to be who she is yeah first time in her life wow. many decades she lives her life where she felt like she was not you know as allowed to live in the country Actually, but now she voice as well didn't have a voice but now she can be a woman who's raised her her daughters without necessarily thinking oh, i need to have a man doing that for me so yeah. but she she felt she was like her voice was you know is heard and i'm really grateful that she had to leave um you know she's she's here to experience that at least in her lifetime so and that's why we are really grateful that you know we we had a government really 
um, that decided to make sure that everybody, you know, is included. Mm. Everyone it's, is 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 amazing because um, when whenever you whenever you mm-hmm. read like economic um, like books on economics and finance, they they always mm-hmm. highlight and praise Rwanda for being like. The, mm-hmm. the Singapore of Africa, sort of like the economic mm-hmm. revolution of Africa, because if, if you look at all of your various pointers, it's, it's changing dramatically. So like the age people are living to is, is mm-hmm. one of the highest in, mm-hmm. in relations to um, other African countries as well. And um, w- what is the main attribute to that, do you think, in terms of like the new horizon and the new, um, the new uprising of Rwanda as a economic powerhouse? Um, I think for me, the, the what I the the reason why um, the way things are changing so good in a, in a, in, a, in a positive way, mm-hmm. um, the government actually even the president because he's one of them, you know, he's the one who's behind, you know, yeah. <laughs> everything. Yeah. So he they encourage young people. Mm. You find a lot of young people in the workplaces, even from the top level to the lower level. So. The young people are encouraged to, you, you know, to, to normally people, you know, in, in many countries, especially in our, in our continent, someone is respected, you know, in uh, as a minister when you are uh, maybe fifty, right? Yeah, it's always an age thing. Yeah. <laughs> but now yeah. in the, in our government, we have young people who are in thirties, wow. even age forty. So, yeah. and and it's a young uh, there so like energy the, the energy of young people mm. that's what they needed because we've lived in a in a time where especially the older people most of them have this ideology where they've lived in a time where um they, you know it, it's harder to change them some of yeah. them so yeah. and deciding to have young people being part of reconstructing a new country I think it was really um, um, a, an amazing, uh, you know, thing to do. So that's why the country is. Uh, that's why you you find Rwandans are more kind of welcoming in in you know in a, in in an easy way that we've never had before uh, right. in the country. So that's why the most visited. You find a lot of things are going fast because yeah. young people. And, and there's a big emphasis on business as well, which I've realized there's a big push for business, which I yeah. think is essential because what business does in entrepreneurship is it encourages people to be more productive. It encourages mm-hmm. them to think, it encourages them to come up with ideas, to be innovative. And that's right. why they probably you'll see more young people now because they're being forced to think and mm-hmm. to bring fresh and new ideas, which is a fantastic mm-hmm. blueprint for, I think, the rest of Africa. If we want to get up the, the capitalist ladder as such or, or move the mm-hmm. co- country from um, low economic status to a higher economic status so it's really great to see on on that front when it comes to like the new rwandan leadership and what they're doing for the country economically yeah and also encouraging other young african countries uh, other other young africans also because they come in the country so he's uh he's um it's really incredible because every time they have a african you know what what do you call african summit the um well the these world economic forums or okay, yeah. all these, yeah, yeah, the, 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 the summit we always have in the country. So they bring everybody from all the world, all over the yeah. world, mostly young people. So I, I am so amazed every time because uh, we, we learn also from them. We are a small country. So, and I think in order to change what happened, I think they needed necessary. We needed it to have other people from, you know, to, 
you know, from other countries. So, yeah, and and, uh, and I'm really, you know, it's it's a very exciting time in yeah. our country. We are living in exciting time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm excited because I mean, I, I I'm I'm doing a few things in Ghana myself, where I'm from, and. Uh, I'm, I'm su- I was born there and I'm so I'm always so excited when I'm going to Ghana because w- when I was younger I was telling this story before to my friends when I was younger and I used to have to go to Ghana I felt like I was forced to like I didn't want to be there and mm-hmm. I didn't know why I was going back there on holiday because I found it boring I didn't I didn't understand what was going on I was always stuck mm-hmm. in the house I wasn't even allowed out when I go there but now mm-hmm. when I go there I come there with a new sense of enthusiasm because I can mm-hmm. see a lot of the young people there doing stuff they're very motivated they're very driven and they're being given that opportunity well not necessarily all of the countries but the ones that are really engaging in this new economy that we're in they're really engaging the young people and they, they're creating new ventures they're building new businesses they're being innovative so there's a sense of excitement in africa and i think we just need to continuously keep that momentum going and encourage Absolutely. people to look Together. at home yeah definitely most definitely um yeah. so in in relations to so going back to the original story that you're saying, in relations to um, genocide and the, the spewing of hatred and bad narratives and ideologies that embed people and in, in, in infuses them to become evil, how do you think we go about stopping that in the future? Like, how do we avoid such atrocities? Yeah, um, from what I have, one thing we are encouraged and which I think it's really important for many other countries also to do. We, you know, we educate about what happened. Young people are educated about what happened in the country. So, and we're talking about the way the country is moving on and thriving in so many areas, but education about what happened in the past is important in the country. Mm. So, and um, especially for young people to never go back to where we came from, because you might do great things, but then if you're not learning from the past, you can go back again. So. And, uh, and we have, um, you know, education about the genocide. So there are memorials. Every time young people learn what happened, you know, throughout the country is part of the education. And I think in order to prevent uh, things like that to happen, a genocide, mass atrocity, you have to be educated from the past. So, and that's why I also encourage um, survivors and many others to tell their stories yeah. so that people can learn from, you know, from what happened. I think when you, like Elie Wiesel always, I think a Holocaust survivor said, you know, learn, when you hear um, from a witness, you become a witness. So um, I think hearing from a survivor, somebody else is going to tell my story. I'm not going to be the only person to always tell my story. If I'm no longer here, my one of the people might will be able to tell the story. So, and I think it's important to learn from the history so that it can it cannot be repeating itself again. So yeah. oh, that's yeah. amazing, and th- mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why I engage in these type of conversations because I'm on a learning journey myself, and I'm speaking to people, and I'm learning along the way, and I'm and I'm sharing what I'm learning with my audience because I definitely mm-hmm. feel like as you're learning from others, whether it be history, business, mm-hmm. and everything else, you're able to then pick out mm-hmm. what's right and what's wrong. You're learning from their experiences. It's, it's mm-hmm. enabling you to see things from a better light because you're learning from people with mm-hmm. direct experience as I'm learning about your history now. Because this is the first time I've ever spoken to someone who is actively mm-hmm. there. And to hear the story come yeah. from you, it's like it puts me in a numb place. So mm-hmm. when you're telling some of the story, usually I, I, I talk a lot, but this time I just had to listen and soak it up and it hits different. 
And I feel like that's what we have to, that's the way we have to look at history. We have to really study it. We have to really listen to those who are involved and understand right. how things came about and how we can avoid it going ahead in, in the future and how we can go ahead developing a better world for ourselves and our families. Mm -hmm. and, and I think one thing I think about, we are living in the world where technology is easy now. You mm -hmm. can reach each other very easily. Mm -hmm. I think as young people, Africans, especially Africans, in order to, you know, to help each other grow and be better, I think we need to, you know, to know our history, to know mm -hmm. our stories and uh, and learn from our history and 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 unite and be together and help. I think that's why that's where our continent is going to um, to be better. So yeah. without necessarily looking other people to come and help us and just you know learn from our history and support each other in the way we can. So I think it's important. Amazing and and that yeah. I mean those, the, the, no words have ever been as true as what you said to what what's happening in current day. So it's about us learning about our story and figuring out what we can best do to to better and empower ourselves. Um, final, final question before I let you go, because I, I, I don't know what time it is over there. I think it's morning over there, isn't it? It's uh, it's going to be uh, 4 p.m. Oh, lucky for you. It's, it's 9, 9 p.m. here. <laughs> <laughs> it's 9 p.m. Yeah. for you. You are later. You're going to bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, just one final question. So what, help, what helped you heal from your situation and what you went through? Yeah, um, what helped me is the fact that, I, first of all, I was very fortunate to have a mother. Mm. Many of my fellow survivors lost their entire family. So mm. uh, it's one thing that I don't take for granted. So mm. having parents. So, and despite her pain, at least, I'm, you know, I have her. So, and my, I have a sibling too, my sister who survived with me. So, and, um, and also one thing that helped me the most is to... Um, to see, um, you know, uh, the people who stopped the genocide and the RTF, you know, encouraging me and many other fellow survivors to, um, to that we, despite our pain, we should not revenge. So revenge is not going to help us really, um, you know, have a good life. And, and having a mother who also was really, uh, somebody who told me to never have any hatred, hatred was not going to help me really, you know, heal from my past, ex you know, my, my painful experiences. So having those people listening to people who are not, not you know, in the country and also in the family, like my mom and, and really encouraging me, I, I was pained, I was pained with a lot of pain within myself, but then one thing that um, I thought in my mind, I said, I'll never give up. Despite the pain, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to push myself and see, you know, and live for my, my dad who is no longer here, for my brothers who are no longer here. I'm going to, I'm sure they will be happy to see me happy. Even though it's not easy, I'm going to do my best to live um, well for them. So, and, um, and and one thing also helped me is to go to therapy. Therapy, I'm sure, in our uh, <laughs> in, in our culture, it's not necessarily something a lot of people do. So, mm -hmm. and I think I think it to me really is a point to really find a way to speak about your painful experiences. So for me, when I allow myself to go in my mind, of course, I wanted to block everything. Mm -hmm. But when I allow myself to really allow everything come out in my system, in my mind, so that's when I realized life 
you know, was worth living again. So, and writing in my memoir, trying to, you know, to believe everything, even though, you know, being vulnerable. So um, it really helped me so much. And then that's when I realized that, you know, I can help others feel the same way too. And, and I can help my fellow survivors. Anybody else is going through, there are so many tragedies around the world. So many people go through trials and tribulations. Maybe can, they can learn from my experience how um, I see, you know, that I can be part of also changing our world, making sure that um, nobody is going to leave the same thing I've, I've lived through. So I, don't, I, I do not wish anybody to go through what I've been through. So, and, um, and, and, and to see, you know, um, to do that really in that journey, it really helped me really heal a lot. So yeah. it really helped me a lot. So I'm truly grateful. And also my faith. I'm Christian. So yeah, likewise, yeah. <laughs> and really it's part of my my it's part of me too. So it really helped me a lot. So and now that's why I feel like I'm here for a reason. I, I survived for a reason. So um and like what you're doing, you're helping a lot of people. So we are here for a reason. So yeah, most definitely. Yeah. So and we need to, you know, be part of helping our fellow humans to make sure, like at least we leave the world alone. You know, at least better. You know, plant a little bit something nice in the world. At least yeah. whoever is going to be born, at least can find something nice. So yeah. So I think that's why I feel like my purpose to do that. So. Yeah. So you found your purpose. That's absolutely wonderful. I really appreciate that. Um, I'm definitely going to go now and order your, your book and have a read um, of it. And then um, hopefully one day down the line, we can discuss it a bit further once I've read it. And I'm going to encourage all my um, all my listeners and viewers to also go and purchase your book and check out your story and engage with you and listen to your story. And um, yeah, and I really appreciate you taking your time to be with me today. I know your day's just started, so you probably got loads of things to do, but it's it's been an it's been an intriguing one. It's been a super eye opener for me myself. Oh, and, uh, thank you so much. I've learned a lot, and I really pray that everyone else that listens to it learn a lot. So thank you very much for being on Let's Do Humans podcast. It's been absolutely wonderful having you on. Oh, it was so wonderful talking yeah. to you. Thank you so much. Really means a lot. Thank yeah, you. Definitely. We'll catch up again. Yeah, enjoy the rest of your day. We'll definitely catch up. You too. Have a good. Day.